Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I had a question that I want to ask you this morning. It's this. How many here today have grown up in church? Anyone? So few of us. So growing up in church, has anyone here ever experienced children's church, Sunday school, something like that? I remember when, um, you know, just as a, a, a young kid, I'm trying to think, I was maybe, uh, not quite, maybe three, four, five, somewhere in there, when my dad first got radically changed by Jesus. A just crazy wild story, this hippie, druggy drug dealer, all these things, and then Jesus just radically changed his life, and I thank God for that every day, because I don't know where I'd be today if it weren't for that. But I remember going to, um, he started with Baptist Church. How many love the Baptists? Come on. Soul winners, right? And so he started with the Baptist Church, but one thing that we had every Sunday was Sunday school, and I used to love being in Sunday school. But, you know, it's important that we have, I believe, these, these places and spaces where children can begin to learn about God, uh, more specifically how good God is, um, how, how important that the stories in Scripture uh, line up with his character and his goodness. But sometimes it means we have to dig a little bit, doesn't it? Um, so I wanted to start out this morning because I figured, why not? Let's start out with some jokes. Anyone want some kid jokes? <laughs> Only Bruce and Kay. Okay. So here you go. You ready? All right. I get this from my dad, Bruce. You know that, right? So what kind of cell phone did Delilah use? A Samson. Okay, okay. Come on, come on now. What kind of car did, did the disciples drive? It said that they were all in one accord. Yeah, I know. These are really good. I did not write these jokes, so don't tell me this is Jimmy Fallon stuff, okay? Number three. What time of day was Adam born? Come on, think it. Think about it. A little before Eve. This is a good one. When was the first tennis match in the Bible? Come on, Kay, I know you're thinking. The very first one. It was, it was in Egypt. Remember when it says Joseph served in Pharaoh's court? Okay. All right, last one. This is... These are bad, man. This is going over. How does the Apostle Paul make coffee? He brews it. Come on. Yeah. I left that for last, so at least we'd have some joke that someone knew. Now, I know some of you, you scholarly ones are like, well, we don't even know if Paul wrote Hebrews. I get it. Some scholars believe a woman did. Come on, ladies. Let me hear it. All right. I know. I tell these jokes. You're like, is that all you got, Pastor? Some corny jokes? No. I tell these jokes for a reason, okay? Be, what's that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you this for a reason because jokes and, and, and stories and parables is how we communicate to our children. This is what I love about Jesus. I mean, Jesus didn't just communicate to children. I think it's beautiful that he said, let the children come on to me in a society where children were considered second-class citizens. Right? Even the disciples were like, hey, Jesus is busy. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The kingdom is different than the kingdoms of this world. All are included. Right? This is an important thing to see. But we communicate to children through rhymes and riddles. And we use, I believe, this wonderful ministry of Sunday school and children's church to get biblical ideas and stories into the hearts of our children. 
And I cherish it. I think that's a wonderful thing. You know, children, uh, children have this amazing opportunity to just soak things in. And when they're young, I think it's good to get good principles into their heart. Not religious principles, not ideas of men, religious ideas. I'm talking about who God is, what God's about, the fact that he loves them, he cares for them, his mercy is new every morning, his grace is sufficient, his love is everlasting. That's what they need to hear. That's what they need to know in their heart of hearts. And so I believe that this avenue is an important and necessary tool that we can use, storytelling, these ideas in order to help kids better understand about God. Now, I know that we're not in children's church right now, but we're leading somewhere. We're going somewhere with us this morning because I believe that many times, even with our best efforts, sometimes maybe we don't consider how we tell some of the stories that we tell. And, you know, how many know that felt board presentations are really cool? Well, at least they were when I was growing up. Anyone remember this? This is one thing I remember from the Baptist church. They had this big felt board. Anyone remember the felt boards? And they had the little characters that would stick to it. Man, the first time I saw that, I was like, this is amazing. This is better than YouTube. YouTube didn't exist. But they're telling stories, and they put the little felt pieces up. And I just thought, I mean, I think I literally said, how is that sticking like that? Like, it's magic. And so it would draw you in to a story. I think they're really cool, but... Think about this, when you're putting pictures up of maybe a, a human being who's being you know, put on an altar ready for sacrifice in the case of Abraham and Isaac, or maybe someone who's in the belly of a fish like in the case of Jonah, I think we need to make sure that we're giving them the true depth of what's going on. Sometimes they just become these nursery rhyme kind of tales that really sometimes the main point is forgotten. Now, I'm not saying that we've necessarily done it wrong. I, I don't want you to, to think that at all. I'm not questioning people whose heart is right and trying to share these stories with children. But like anything where teaching is involved, I think it's really important to get down to the meaning behind the story because this is what I've learned in life. What you are taught as a child becomes your belief system when you grow older. And I think that's why it's so hard for us sometimes to progress from a belief system. It's what I've always believed. It's what I've always thought. You can see this all through. I don't care if it's political. I don't care if it's religious. Whatever you grow up with, it's really hard to break away from the things that you learned. And so I, I think it's so important, such an important task at hand as those of us who maybe are teaching children's church in Sunday school or as parents who are sharing about who God is, at least we should be, giving them the right picture. And when we use these stories as examples or we tell these stories, I think we really need to sometimes dig to see what it really means. And I want you to understand my heart. I don't discount the time, the effort, the blood, sweat, tears that anyone puts into teaching our children, right, the values and beliefs about God, because guess what? I'm not cut out for that. That's a special breed. Now, I said this earlier, there's a lot of us who, you know, we've on, on purpose because we saw a need, maybe in a department, we've, we've went ahead and just worked in that department. Um, you know, growing up in a pastor's home, you know, I, I worked every single, I worked preschool, little kids, because my parents made me, but you know, but, but now I'm so thankful I worked like in every department of the church. And I think it's important to say this, just as a side note, if you're trying to find your place in church, sometimes it's just stepping into something and trying it. 
Sometimes you don't even know what gift or calling you may have until it gets stirred up as you do it. Now, you may step into something and go, whoa, this is not for me. And that's understandable. But I think it's important that we're all doing our part in the kingdom. Amen? So again, understand my heart. I mean, I believe it's important. I'm not discounting this time that people put into it. But I do believe this, that getting to the depth of these stories is so important. And I believe that our children need to hear them. Yes, on their level, but they need to, need to see what's really going on in the depth and the meaning in a way they can understand. So with that being said, kind of setting us up today, the title of the message is this. There must be something fishy going on. There must be something fishy going on. Now, I didn't steal this from Dolly Parton. You might love that song. Maybe that's your thing. But this title, I think, really fits for today. So let's turn to the book of Jonah. Say Jonah. Let's turn to Jonah. And I'm so excited to share this today. There's just some really great stuff in these four chapters. We're going to read every verse today. You ready? No, we're not going to. But I do want to begin to extract some meaning and some things in Jonah that maybe we've missed out in. I want to start in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke his word to Jonah, son of Amittai. He said, leave at once for the important city, Nineveh. Say Nineveh. Announce to the people that I can no longer overlook the wicked things they have done. Look at this. Jonah immediately went to Nineveh. Is that what it says? No. Jonah immediately tried to run away from the Lord by going to Tarshish. Say that five times fast. Look at this. He went to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid for the trip and went on board. He wanted to go to Tarshish to get away from the Lord. That's pretty interesting. If you actually look at a map, Tarshish in this time was the furthest place away that they knew of. How many know they didn't know the whole, whole world? It was the opposite way of Nineveh, all the way. We could say it's on the other side of the world, right? He's trying to get away from this calling. So he gets on a ship. This great storm arises. Uh, the men on the ship wonder if they've done something wrong to cause the gods to be angry because that's how they believed in ancient times, right? If something bad happened, the gods were bad. If something good happened, then the gods were okay. You know, even Israel believed this about their God, right? Yahweh. So there's these different ideas they're struggling with and what's going on. And then Jonah basically gives them the scoop. I'm running away from God. It's my fault. Let's pick up in verse 11. The storm was getting worse. So they asked Jonah, what should we do with you to calm the sea? He told them, throw me overboard. <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> so like, I don't want to get a Nineveh, but you can throw me in the ocean. That's pretty wild. Then the sea will become calm. I know that I'm responsible for this violent storm. Instead, say instead, the men tried to row harder <laughs> to get the ship back to shore, but they couldn't do it. I think this is kind of a cool little thing to realize they didn't just want to throw them, okay, dude, we're throwing you overboard. They were like, no, let's try a different way. But they couldn't do it. The storm was getting worse, so they cried to the Lord for help. Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us responsible for the death of an innocent man because you, Lord, do whatever you want. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the sea became calm. The men were terrified of the Lord. They offered sacrifices and made vows to the Lord. The Lord sent a big fish, say big fish, to swallow Jonah. Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Say this with me. There must be something fishy going on. 
So in Jonah chapter 2, because we just ended chapter 1, we see that Jonah prays inside this fish, and then three days later, the Lord commanded the fish, and then the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. How many have read that before? As a kid, I was like, man, was he like covered and stuff? Like, I would think about like, ooh, he must have stunk, right? That's how I think. Interesting story. Now, when you hear this story, and you get to this part about this big fish, and a man being in the belly for three days and three nights, and then vomiting him up onto the shore, and he's good to go, you know, some instantly roll their eyes, and maybe they say something like, really? I mean, haven't we moved past all the mystical, magical stuff and these little fairy tales? I mean, I mean, we've heard this, right? But then on the other side, we have a different response. Some people are so set in that they're like, if the Bible says a man was swallowed by a fish, then a man was swallowed by a fish. If you deny that story, then you have to deny every other story that has a miracle contained within it. You know what my response is to both people? I don't think it matters what you believe about a man being swallowed by a fish. Why? Because there's a larger point being made. <laughs> in fact, did you know that Jonah's only four chapters? But in those four chapters, we have 47 verses, and only three of the verses mention the fish. Yet we tell our children in children's church, and the whole story is known by Jonah and the big fish. Are you catching this? Three verses, the word fish is only used four times. But the story has become about a man in a fish, and we begin to argue on whether or not a guy was in the fish or not, or it's a fairy tale, or it really works, and I think we're missing the point. See, the point of the story, it's about the Israelites and the Ninevites. It's about God's call to be a light to everyone. Get this, especially your enemies. Here we go again. It kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I often say this. I was even saying this to Aaron today that sometimes it's, you know, if people think it's easy to follow the way of Jesus, I don't know about that. Because Jesus asks some things about us that go completely against the grain, doesn't he? So in the story, it's possible to be, you know, so persuasive about the literal fact of a man being swallowed by a fish, making that the highlight of the story in such a way that you defend it, you believe it, right? And at the same time, you miss the point of the story. It's a story about God's redeeming love. It's a story about allowing that redeeming love to, throw, to flow through us with such power and such grace and such impact in people's lives that we're able to love and bless even our worst enemies. That's really what the story's about. In fact, think about this. Arguing about how Jonah was swallowed by a fish can be an easy way to avoid facing the people in your life you need to forgive. Because there's more to the story. It's not about the fish. Say that with me. It's not about the fish. Listen, you can believe whatever you want about the fish. I'm not saying which way to believe. I'm just saying it's not about the fish. It's a real small part of the story. So before we go on, this will help us today, and we're going somewhere with this. Say, I'm with you, Pastor. Just a little bit of background. I want to look at a couple phrases, three phrases specifically from the book of 2 Kings. Now, 2 Kings tells some history of Israel and, and their 
uh, conflict and, and their negotiation and just their relationship with surrounding nations and their own nation and things like that. But I want to read three statements. The first one is this. Then Paul, king of Assyria, invaded the land. Second, Tilglath, Pilser, king of Assyria, came and deported the people. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it. Do you hear these three statements? The first thing I notice in here is we see Assyria in every statement. Say Assyria. The The second thing that I see here is these three words, invaded, deported, and laid siege. Say them with me. Invaded, deported, and laid siege. Now, most of us know this, but in case you don't, invading is basically marching into another country and taking it over through power and violence. We've seen this for centuries, right? This is what one uh, entity or, or government system or nation will do to another. It's constant. We've seen this in recent history as well. This is called invading. Deporting is capturing the inhabitants of a country that you've invaded, and then you forcibly remove them from their homes, their jobs, their towns, their life, and then take them far away. So you can use them for whatever, you know, oppression, slavery, to do your bidding, right? Laying siege is surrounding a city with your army, and in doing so, what you do is you sever the city from its food and water sources. Why? So that the people get to this place where they're starving, and they're suffering, and they're dying, and eventually they just give up and surrender. We saw this happen. Uh, The Romans did this to Israel right around 70 AD. They surrounded Jerusalem and and they laid siege to Jerusalem and people were starving. Some crazy stuff happened. It's too, too graphic to even mention here. But this is what these systems do to one another. I want you to get this. Invading, deporting, laying siege. The Assyrians were the ones who did this and the Assyrians, in other words, were enemies. Do you think if you had a nation that was doing this to you, you would consider them your enemy? Absolutely. They were mean. They were nasty. They were violent. They were oppressive. If you just look at history, the Assyrians were no joke. I mean, mean, you thought Rome was bad? You thought Babylon was bad or Egypt? The Assyrians were like... Just a very violent, oppressive nation. The Assyrians made life miserable for the Israelites year after year after year. It's during this time in history that a story emerges about a man named Jonah. And Jonah has a calling. Jonah was an Israelite. And according to this particular story, God tells Jonah to take a message to the great city of Nineveh. And guess what? Nineveh was in Assyria. Can you understand Jonah's response to God at this point? The people who have invaded us, who've deported us, who've laid siege to us, who've enslaved and oppressed us, you want me to go speak to them about how good you are? (laughs) Starts messing, doesn't it? They're our worst enemy. Those hated pagans who have made life for our people a living hell time and time again, and you're asking me to do something good for them? Seriously, God? I don't think so. I'm going to Tarshish. (laughs) See, I can feel it. 
Anyone else felt like this before? I mean, I think it's that, that, that tendency as, as a human, especially brought up in a certain belief system, that us and them, we separate, we, we look at enemies differently. And in fact, we celebrate when things go wrong to an enemy. But Jonah wanted nothing to do with this. So he heads to the nearest port, he jumps on a ship, and he sails in the complete opposite direction. Of course he does. Here's a question. What would you do if God told you to go and bring a message of hope to your worst enemy? I, I, really, I really would hope my answer would be like, well, of course, Lord. I will lay down all those belief systems and ideas I have because I want, I want to be faithful and do what you've asked me to do. But I don't know. Would you? Just a question to ask. We can see that Jonah didn't. And can you imagine how the first audiences would have reacted to this story when Jonah didn't go to Nineveh? I mean, they hated the Assyrians as well. Of course you don't go to Nineveh. I mean, would they have cheered Jonah on? That's right, Jonah. God got it wrong this time. I mean, we'd like to think they're like, you know, Jonah, God asked you to, so you probably should just work through it, brother. He'd probably like, well, maybe you should work through it and do it yourself then. So he gets on a boat, a storm comes, there's this discussion among the crew about the cause of the storm. They determine he's the problem. They throw him overboard. He's swallowed by a fish. He prays on the belly of the fish. The fish spits him out. Great story, right? And then when Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, because God asked him again, okay, Jonah, you've been through a lot of stuff here, dude. Uh, will you once again, I'm asking you, will you go? And he finally goes to Nineveh. And guess what? These horrible Mean, nasty, oppressive Assyrians turn out to be open to God's message. Who'd have thought? I mean, really open, okay? Get this, and it states this in the story. You can read it for yourself. We're not going to spend that time today. But they're so open that the king orders, the king, and when the king commands something, you do it, right? He orders that every single person and animal be covered with sackcloth. Now you're like, what, what does that mean, sackcloth? Well, in this, in the ancient time, sackcloth was something you did when you would cry out to God, when you were deeply aware of your sins, when you were asking God for his mercy. This is just a, a, a posture, a way that ancient culture would do this. So he said, I command everyone. He, co he commands everyone to repent and wear sackcloth. Now get this, including the animals. They, they didn't have to be put in a story. See, we miss little things like this. This was the level of acceptance of the message of God. This was the level of repentance that the king's like, hey, listen, you guys get the sackcloth and we're repenting. We're going a different way. And you know what? The animals too. The, the, the cow's probably like, why do I need sackcloth? I haven't been oppressed in anyone, right? But, but when, you, when you think about this, this really brings to me, this, this whole different level of repentance to the message of God. This is how good the gospel is. Good news was brought to this nation. And, and Jonah, even though he did it reluctantly, he must, have, he must have somehow announced the message in a good enough way that they're like, whoa, okay, we don't want to be destroyed. We want to go a different way. Let's repent. Let's move on from this. Let's pick up in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Because I want you to see Jonah's response to their response. Now, what happened? Did the Assyrians reject or accept? Yeah, with sackcloth and ashes. Like, we're getting it together. We're turning it around. 
Look at the response of Jonah. He's so happy here. Look at this. Jonah was very upset about this. You know, it's so, I just can't imagine. You know, one of these days when I see Jonah, I'm like, dude, I know you got a bad rap. Listen, it stinks. Because if, if somebody had a video camera on me every single day and wrote life stories, there's moments where you're like, that guy's a pastor? I'm just saying, none of us are perfect, right? And so you just, you know, so I mean, I give props to, to whoever that Jonah's like, okay, well, I mean, maybe he didn't have a choice to be in the book or not, but it's interesting to me, his response here, he was very upset about this. And look at this, not just upset, he became angry. So what does he do? He prays to the Lord. He says, Lord, isn't this what I said would happen when I was still in my own country? Now think about this line for a minute, because this line isn't contained earlier. So obviously, Jonah and God had a conversation, and I'm trying to imagine this. What did he say to God? He said, if I preach how good you are, they're going to change. And he didn't want to do it. He said, I knew this. Look what he goes on to say. He says, that's why I tried to run to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, patient and always ready to forgive and to reconsider your threats of destruction. So now, Lord, take my life. I'd rather be dead than alive. Isn't that crazy? I'd rather be dead than have to live with this tension that these enemies, these hated people that I consider uh, nothing and worthless and my, the, on, my, on, my, on my best day, I wouldn't love them. I can't live with the tension that I'm on the outs and they're on the ends with you. This is how much this bothered Jonah, right? I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. See, Jonah knew the heart of God. He wasn't leaving because he was scared to go to Nineveh. He wasn't leaving because he necessarily thought God was, was wrong in what he was asking. He, he left because he knew that the message was so good that the Assyrians would change and God would actually accept them where they were in that moment, in that time. That, that's really hard to digest. And so he says, take my life for it's better that I die than to live. What a bizarre story. That's a story that, you know, I mean, even in, in the parables of Jesus where characters just, they, they do what you wouldn't expect them to do. And I think this is why it's so important to dig past the fish thing. It's so small. Believe it or don't. What is the main story beneath this? What is the main meaning behind this story? See, the story is about a man, but it's also about a nation the nation of Israel. See, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because the Assyrians had treated them horribly. And I believe that the story asks this question, can Jonah forgive the Assyrians? Which really is the question, can Israel forgive the Assyrians? This is a, a big ask, to walk in complete and total forgiveness, to let people off the hook. You know, I found in my life that it's one thing to seek forgiveness, it's another thing to give it. And there's so many times where I'm just like, have you ever had this happen? Someone does something wrong to you, and then they apologize, they ask for forgiveness, and you're just like, man, why did you ask me right now? I'm not ready. I don't want to forgive you. I don't want to release you right now. Am I the only one? 
It's just like, when people respond quickly when they mess up, sometimes I don't like that. I want to hold this over your head for a little longer, okay? I want to feel my feelings because I think this has helped me out, even though it isn't. But I've also found this, that when I forgive people and release them, it's more about me than it is them. Because when you hold on to stuff in your life, it just festers and it becomes something that sometimes you can't even control. And so I believe that we see this in the story. And so, not, not Jason, that's my brother, but Jonah, Jonah's angry at the end. He's angry that God has been so kind to them. Well, of course he's, he's angry. Think about this in your own life. I want to make this personal this morning as we bring this to a close. When you haven't forgiven someone who has wronged you, think about this, has ever happened to you? And then something good happens to them where they're blessed or they're shown mercy or experienced favor, what's your response? I get pretty irritated. Right? I think I'm a little better than I used to be. You know, he's still working on me. Right? He's working on my heart. But have you ever been in a situation where you're like, man, because I said it earlier, sometimes when calamity happens to someone that you're, is your enemy, you're like, oh, that really stinks for them. Yes. I know, not UK. But when something good happens, do we go, man, that's so great for them. No, usually we're irritated. Now, if we're in church, we're really, oh, that's, that's great, brother. And then all the way home, we're just cussing God out. Why did you do that for them and not for me? I get it. But I believe this brings us to a larger theme of the Bible. See, according to this story that's been unfolding up until Jonah, Israel had a calling. We've talked about this before. I believe that Israel was chosen, but they were chosen at a specific time to show the world the redeeming love of God so that all the world would accept and follow Yahweh. It wasn't just so they would be special for all time and no one else was invited to the club. Israel had a responsibility. The responsibility was to show this redeeming love of God, to show the grace and the mercy of God. And guess what? They had a calling, but they didn't live up to it. Now, I don't fault them for that because systems fail sometimes. And Israel, rather than stick with God's plan, found their own plan just like we do at times, just like the church does and religion does at times. We have a calling to show all those into this world the redeeming love of God, and sometimes, guess what, we don't live up to the calling. So there's a question then that lies within the story of Jonah. Can you forgive your worst enemy and be an avenue through which God's redeeming love can flow to them? It's a question we should ask ourselves. Can I forgive even my worst enemy and in those moments work past the enemy idea, the us and them idea, and actually be an avenue, a roadway through which God's redeeming love can flow to those around me? I know it's a big ask. I'm not saying that I do it perfectly all the time, but it's so important that we see the depth of the story of Jonah. So, I mean, for a lot of us, the question is, can I move from my past or does the past decide my future? The, the hurts and the wounds and the things that I experience, will they be with me forever or can I heal and be set free from them? 
See, sometimes before we can progress to that place, we have to actually get to a place where we're open with God and say, God, I have some festering wounds. I have some hurts. People have done me wrong. That famous line, you just don't know what I've gone through, but guess what God does? He sees it all. And that healing virtue that only he possesses is there to bring healing to your life, to bring restoration to your life. And so sometimes it's just a matter of saying, God, I'm not okay with these others, but I, st- I just need to get okay with myself and with you right now. But then as I work through this, I believe that through your power, as you begin to help me see my true identity, who I truly am, that I'm made for forgiveness, that I'm made for generosity, that I'm made for love, it's in those moments we begin to actually see these things happen. But it's a process, right? And I believe that this question is a question for Jonah because it's a question for Israel. And I believe it's a question for Israel because it's a question for us. And it's so cool. This story, you know, the story doesn't even have closure. I think that's why the book of Jonah doesn't end with a conclusion. It doesn't end with a judgment or details about what Jonah does next. We don't see it. We don't see Jonah anywhere else in scripture. We don't really see what transpired, that maybe he got better and things were cool, or maybe God just did take his life. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Would it be careful what you pray for? <laughs> just kidding. We don't know what happens, but there's no conclusion. I don't like that. My personality doesn't like that. I hate loose ends. You ever watched a series? You're like, you're like, you're into it. You've binged it for years now, right? You're six seasons in, and you're like, final season, final episode, and it gets done, and you're like, that's it? What a, I wasted all that time when I could have did good in this world watching your stupid show. It's the story of Jonah. But I think there's a reason there's no conclusion. The book doesn't end with a conclusion. It ends with a question. And it's a question that God has for Jonah. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? That's the question. He ends with the question. See, it's a question for the Jonah story and for Jonah in the story. But at a greater level, it's a question, I believe, that the author is asking the audience. An audience who has many, many personal reasons, I should say, to answer this question with a no. You shouldn't, Lord. I believe that this question is for us today. Uh, For the people who first heard this story, the story would have been this subversive, disturbing thing that would affect them in such a way, they probably were like, whoa, I mean, kind of like the parables of Jesus. This doesn't make sense. This this isn't how the story should go. You've, You've switched characters or you've had them do things we didn't expect. Because the Assyrians, I mean, they were like this huge open wound for the Israelites. You want us to bless the Assyrians? But here's the thing. The story is extremely subversive because it insists that your enemy, get this, may be more open to grace and love than you are. That hurt me a little bit too. So, And you flash forward to the life of Jesus and we see Jesus, there's no us in them. Everyone's included, everyone's invited to the table. And I really do believe that the church of Jesus Christ is 
moving and progressing to this place. It's going to take time. We're going to have to work through some barriers of religion and man-made ideas and theology and just messed up thoughts. But that's okay. That's the beauty of God sticks with us even if we believe the wrong thing about him because that's what love does. Even I know that even I don't have it all right. But I know this, if I, if I can always err on the side of love, I got to be close. Because that's what I see in the life of Jesus. So again, that's why the book ends with a question, a question that God has for Jonah, which is a question that God has for Israel, which is a question that God has for, don't say Pastor Andy, say us. Us. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh. In other words, should I not have concern for those whom you consider your worst enemies? Because many see the world in these opposing terms, right? Uh, you know, good people, bad people, the sinners and the saints, the us and them. We, we talk about this quite often here. A world in which people get labeled, they get pigeonholed, and they get stuck in categories where we place them. And guess what? We don't want to let people out of those places and those labels. But this story... It wants nothing to do with that. It just obliterates the, these pieces of bigotry and labels with the declaration that God is on everyone's side, that extending grace and compassion to everyone is the most important thing, especially those that we have most certainly decided are not on God's side. That's a tough one. And I said it earlier, but religious people have been very good over the years at you know, seeing themselves as us and seeing people who weren't part of their group as them. And I love that the kingdom is beginning to get to this place where that's changing. It's looking more like Jesus. You know, the one we say we follow, it's looking like Jesus. But in this story, the guy who sees himself as us is furious. Why? Because of how friendly God is and has become with them. That's where the anger came in. And he even says, I knew if I shared the message of how good you were, they would change and they would be able to be in relationship with you and no longer a them but an us and I don't like it. He's so furious, in fact, he'd rather die than live in this tension. So Jonah and the big fish, what a story. Are we finding ways to avoid this very real and convincing question or questions that the story raises about what really lies deep within our heart? Because that's what these questions do. It, it kind of stirs up and you go, you ever done that? I mean, I mean I've, I've grown so much on this journey, but there have been times where I'll be going along, I'll, I'll say something, I'll think something, and all of a sudden I'll go, whoa, I didn't realize that was in there. I don't like that feeling. How many love correction? No, of course not. <laughs> but how many know if you're teachable, mature enough to be teachable, you can actually grow and become a better version of yourself? It's important. That's the first thing I had to learn. I was a very stubborn, strong-willed, young teenage boy into my 20s, thought I knew it all. Man, I didn't know nothing. In fact, they usually say, what, your parents and those, your elders, they seem to get smarter as you get older. There's some truth to that. I wasn't teachable. I still have moments where I have to learn to be teachable, especially when my wife corrects me. Come on, guys, that's not easy. But we do that for the good of one another. 
And so we have to come to this point where we're ready to grow. We're ready to say, okay, I know there's some stuff within me that just doesn't line up with who God says I am. It doesn't line up with kingdom life. It doesn't line up with the way of God. And I want to wrap this up. Jesus made this powerful statement in Matthew chapter 5. Most of you here know this, but let's start with verse 43. Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your what? Enemy. Look at this. But I tell you this. So when Jesus says something like this, it's like, okay, he's, he's about to tell us something. It's about to go down. Look at this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, it's so easy to go away to just say, well, it's an enemy. I hate him. Oh, my neighbor, I love them. Jesus is like, no, 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 let's, let's, let's get real with this. I'm telling you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But I love what verse 45 says. In this way, say this way, you show that you are children of your Father in heaven. Now, he's not saying that if you do what I ask you to do, then you'll be a child. He's saying when you do this, you're reflecting your true self. You're showing people. You're, you're a demonstration of the family you came from, the family of God. When you do this, see, sometimes it's like kind of, you know why it's hard to forgive, at least for me sometimes? Because I feel like people are getting away with stuff. You ever felt that? But no one ever gets away with anything. Right? You reap what you sow. It just, stuff happens. So, but we're so concerned with them getting what they deserve or maybe in being part of the avenue to help them get what they deserve. I'm just saying, right? Maybe that's just me. Like, this dude's a pastor? (laughs) But we're in such a mode that we don't realize how good it is when we actually say, okay, I'm laying that down and I'm going to go the way that God has asked me to do because I'm actually demonstrating what it looks like to be a child of God. We're on display. Look at this. It says, he, speaking of God, makes his son rise on people whether they're good or evil. Hmm. He lets rain fall on them, whether they're just or unjust. And this is powerful. Verse 48. This is why you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This word perfect just means mature. All right, so God's not asking you to be perfect in every single way, but he's saying, will you grow to a maturity level? It's literally what it means in the Greek. Will you mature to a place where you're mature like your Father? You're a full reflection of, of the image of God. Because we're made in his image and likeness. We're mirrors, right? We're reflectors. When people see us, they should see the heart of Father. We see that in the example of Jesus. When you read, I mean, the, Jesus, man, I'm telling you, I, I love to follow Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. Just seeing his responses to people and, and his empathy and his concern and his love, it's like, it's so beautiful. But Realize that's a reflection of God. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. But how many here would say, you want to get to a place where people, you could say, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. Because I'm a true reflection of who God is. Not in arrogance, but just knowing the family you belong to and living kingdom life. So what questions or emotions arise when you hear this story? Just close your eyes for a moment and think about that. In fact, just stand with me. What questions arise? What thoughts arise? What emotions arise? When I was speaking on this today, and you can keep this personal, but does a certain person or maybe 
a certain people group come to mind? Something that you've been dealing with, with anger, with frustration, with unforgiveness, with not letting that person go? Someone maybe you've been seeing as the other? Someone you've maybe seen as unforgivable? It's a big challenge, yes, I agree, but I believe that it's absolutely necessary that we forgive and we release others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. And, and really, first of all, we thank you for your forgiveness. Scripture tells us that you remember our sin as far as the east is from the west. And what's beautiful about that is the east and west never connect. You can go west for a thousand years and never go east. You can go east for 2,000 years and never go west. In other words, you remember our sin no more. We're completely forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. But how we live from that point is up to us. Do we accept that forgiveness? Do we accept the great gift that you've given us? Or do we say, I'm not worthy. I don't measure up. And in most cases, I believe that even we find it hard to forgive others because we can't even forgive ourselves. So I pray this morning that you're working on our heart like you always do, that we're beginning to see more and more the, the truth and the importance of forgiveness, letting people go, letting them off the hook, even if we consider them to be our worst enemy. And we thank you for scripture. We thank you for the ability to read the Bible and to dig into original languages and really see what's going on and realize that this story is more than just a guy and a fish for three days and three nights. This is about a guy who's wrestling with the same thoughts, the same belief systems, the same emotions that we do when we consider others to be them and we are the us when we look at another and feel like, well, they don't measure up to who I am. Or someone who's hurt us, we just can't let them off the hook. I pray this morning that we can release that. Say this with me, Heavenly Father, thank you for your forgiveness. I receive it in my life. And right now, by an act of my will, I release that person. And you know who that is. I let it go. I forgive them, and I will continue to forgive them. Help me, Holy Spirit, to stop seeing these barriers and these labels and to see everyone as part of the family. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Isn't God good? Did you receive that this morning? I just love the Bible. How about you? I just love God. He's so good. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.